This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. RCMP busted child predator lurking online. Burnaby RCMP is announcing charges against an adult male Burnaby resident. How they found the suspect and their warning to parents. Cheating the system. Unfortunately, in every situation, there are a few criminals. What happens to people taking advantage of the emergency response benefit? And family transmission. There was approximately 30 people, and at least 15 of them have tested positive. A shocking reminder about the risks of gathering in groups. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We'll get to the COVID numbers in a moment, but we begin with a warning to parents and to children after a disturbing attack on a Burnaby girl. One man is now facing a string of serious sexual assault and weapons charges. Catherine Urquhart has more on how RCMP say the two met. These are some rather troubling allegations and they involve a young girl. Burnaby RCMP say they've been working on this case for about a month now, assisted by members of the Child Abuse and Sexual Offenses Unit, also known as CASO. On May 7th of this year, the victim attended an RCMP detachment with her mother to report that she had been sexually assaulted by a man she had met online. So far, the suspect's name is not being released due to a publication ban. The RCMP will only say that the suspect is a Burnaby resident. As for the charges against him, sexual assault with a weapon, sexual interference, luring a child, possession of a restricted weapon, and using a firearm in the commission of an offence. This case is prompting police to urge parents to do everything they can to promote online safety. Today, police are asking that parents take some time in the coming days to sit with their children and speak with them about the dangers associated with using social media platforms. Due to what's going on in the world right now, police are aware that Many of the social connections being made by young people are virtual right now. And it's hugely important that these connections are made with people they know and trust. The suspect remains in custody. No word yet on his next court appearance. In Burnaby, Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Well, BC appears to be right on target with its COVID-19 numbers, averaging about 10 new cases a day. And that's exactly what we had today, which brings our total to 2,669. Thankfully, we once again have had no new deaths, so that number stays at 167. The hospital numbers also remain unchanged. 16 patients in hospital, 4 in ICU. We have seen 2,319 people recover, which leaves us with 183 active cases. Dr. Bonnie Henry again stressing the need to keep your distance even outside as we explore.
expand our bubble, often with family members. She cites one recent instance where a gathering of about 30 people resulted in 15 of them testing positive for the virus. That is one of the most common ways it gets transmitted. It's the people that we are closest to and spend time with. So these are the things that we've been talking about, about the importance of, um, you know, outside, but still maintaining distance, not sharing food in terms of having buffets, because that's a way where we um, pass things on to each other potentially. You know, but the most important thing is the time that we spend in close uh, proximity to somebody within that uh, one to two meter radius. And even if it is outside, if you're spending time in close contact talking to somebody, it is still risky. All right, Keith Baldry joins us from Victoria with more. Keith, you've got new COVID-19 numbers for Washington State. They are not good and they come amid reports the border closure could be extended. Yes, Reuters news agency reporting today that the border will be, uh, the closure will be extended to at least the end of July. Don't be surprised if it goes even longer. Uh, the news coming out of the states now is terrible. You've got 14 states now where uh, there's been a serious resurgence uh, of, of cases of uh, seven-day average is more than they've ever seen in the pandemic. Washington State today reported 313 more cases, and that's basically more than 1,600 just in the last five days, and tragically 15 more deaths in that state today. Almost 40 people have died from COVID-19 in the last five days in that state alone. I put that question to Dr. Bonnie Henry today. She says, basically, what we're seeing in the States and in places like Brazil and what we continue to see in Europe is a big reason why that border must remain shut for some time. We need to be able to manage people who come across our borders, whether it's international from, um, from um, Brazil or from Europe or from China or from the United States. And we will continue to do that and work with our federal counterparts on that. Um, so I wasn't aware of uh, the extension yet, but I think we need to be very cautious about um, allowing people who are here as tourists coming across the border. Now, the new policy announced by Prime Minister Justin Trudeau allowing family members to reunite across the border uh, takes effect at midnight tonight, but not expected to affect a lot of people. The number I've seen is probably 1,500 people at most across Canada. And if you do come into Canada from the States on that basis, you have to isolate for 14 days upon arrival. Hmm. Sophie? All right, thanks for that. Keith Baldry in Victoria. That border closure has a big impact on BC's film and television industry, so critical to our economy. It now has the official green light to restart with WorkSafe BC releasing the rules and conditions for resuming production. But as Richard Zussman reports, there are still a lot of concerns about how much can really be done under the current restrictions. They make up the big screen's most iconic moments. From hand-to-hand battle to love scenes. My mind is... But when the TV and film industry returns to work in BC, some of those close-up moments won't. There's also a lot of techniques that productions can use to maybe achieve some of those things uh, without, while maintaining social distancing. All of this part of the WorkSafe BC guidelines allowing productions to operate in British Columbia again. Along with allowing an actor to refuse close-up contact, the recommendations include extensive cleaning measures and a ban on buffet-style eating. We're pretty pleased with uh, the detail that they've got, and we're also doing our own uh, production guidelines, which are going to even have more detail department by department. Premier John Horgan has been pushing to get the productions back. 
The big challenge for getting shows like Riverdale and Batwoman shooting again is the border and a required 14-day quarantine for international arrivals. Whether it's from the U.S. or from uh, countries in Europe or, or China, um, they bring their risk with them. So when the producers from L.A. are looking at what looks good to them, they're, they're taking a look at all the great work that's been done in B.C. by Dr. Bonnie Henry and all of the citizens of British Columbia to flatten the curve, and we look really attractive to them. One of the reasons why the province is pushing so hard to get back to shoot at places like this is because the industry accounts for a lot of jobs and brought in $3.2 billion to the province last year. And we're really hoping that within the coming weeks we'll start to see some pre-production happening and then hopefully in the early summer into production itself. California recently announcing Hollywood will open back up for shooting as early as next week. And if things continue to go well here, Hollywood North is hoping not to be far behind. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. It's been a little more than two months since Canadians who lost work due to the COVID crisis could start applying for CERB, the Canadian Emergency Response Benefit. Now the Liberal government is proposing to tighten the rules to punish fraudsters and penalize those who are now refusing to go back to work. Aaron MacArthur has the details. The bill could be coming due for tens of thousands of people who have received the CERB inappropriately. The Liberals aiming to introduce legislation that could see fines of up to $5,000 or even jail time. We've put measures in place that will allow us to go after the deliberate fraudsters who are trying to game the system. When the CERB was rolled out, promises were made about not punishing everyday Canadians who made a mistake or were desperate. The Liberals need at least one other party to support the bill debated Wednesday. The NDP is out. That is going to put more vulnerable people at risk. That's exactly what we should not be doing, putting desperate people at risk for criminal charges and incarceration. This is wholly irresponsible. The CRA really in no position to do much until next tax season. But government sources tell Global News fraud could fall somewhere in the range of 1% to 2%, which adds up. The program, $43 billion which means fraud is anywhere between 43 and 87 million. We're not looking at punishing people who made honest mistakes. Obviously, this is a time for us to pull together as a country. The Conservatives are demanding a thorough accounting of the billions in government spending through this pandemic, asking for more funding for the Auditor General. We're seeing hundreds of billions of dollars being spent without appropriate transparency, and accountability. The Bloc Québécois has indicated support for the bill Wednesday, but only if the government comes up with a full economic statement by the 1st of July. Something the Liberals say is next to impossible. Arthur, Global News. BC Ferries workers are worried about the potential impact of a new rule that passengers on sailings 30 minutes or longer have to bring a mask or they'll be denied boarding. As Brad McLeod reports, they're concerned it'll be their job to enforce the new rules and deal with angry passengers. Uh, ticket agents being called and idiots. The current public health emergency just really seems to be putting everyone on edge in a way we've never seen before. BC Ferries workers already have to ask customers COVID health questions and starting next week, 
more screening. Do you have a face covering that you can put on and are you willing to put it on if you need to in the event you need to physical distance? It's part of new Transport Canada regulations that take effect June 15th. Uh, if customers answer no, then our ticket agents are supposed to tell them they will not be able to travel. A potentially tense scenario when every second counts to catch one of the fewer ferry sailings. Our members have seen really significant instances of verbal abuse from people who are demanding to get on ferries because they're residents of certain communities. We don't want to put our employees in a situation where they feel like they're policing our customers at all. That's not our mandate. But the union says something could be done to decrease the tension having masks available for the public. BC Ferries choosing not to sell masks as part of the ticket or for a small fee above and beyond the price of the ticket could be a significant friction point. We transport about 22 million customers a year and we just don't have the supply. So starting next Monday, anyone over two years old must have a face covering affixed by ties or ear loops. Scarves are okay. Customers don't have to show proof of a mask. But what if somebody says they're not wearing one? Well, you know, the vast majority of our customers certainly understand what we're all dealing with during this pandemic, and we would ask them to cooperate with us as well as our staff. You would hope that people's common sense would dictate that uh, there'd be less friction, but there's been more. The union says they would like to see real police around more, particularly when there are significant capacity issues or delays. Brad McLeod, Global News, Victoria. A buyer for Steve Nash Fitness World and Sports Clubs has been confirmed, and this could mean that those gyms might be reopening in the future if the deal is secured later this month. The identity of the buyer and the terms of the offer have not been made public. Steve Nash Fitness World closed all of its locations and terminated all 1,300 staff members back in March. It filed for creditor protection shortly afterward in April. The future of the growing tent city located next to Crab Park on the Vancouver waterfront will be decided tomorrow. That's when a B.C. Supreme Court judge will rule on an injunction to remove more than 180 campers from the illegal encampment. Ramina Dea reports. Chief Justice Hingson will hand down his decision Wednesday at 2 p.m. as to whether he will grant the Port Authority's request for an injunction to remove more than 180 campers who are illegally occupying the port's parking lot next to Crab Park. Defense says the campers have a right to live there because the tent city provides a safe environment during the pandemic and there's no appropriate housing available. If housing was offered, I would have taken it. They keep pushing us from slot to slot to slot. I don't know where we're going to go from here, but we're going to keep moving around until they get us homes. I mean, you can't keep saying you're going to help us and then not help us. There's no evidence campers have been refused space by BC Housing, argued lawyers for the port, adding the government has found homes for more than 250 people after the tent city at Oppenheimer Park was dismantled. Urination, defecation, needles and noise, just some of the concerns raised by the port and area residents. If an injunction is granted, the VPD is requesting an additional enforcement order. Hinkson questioning why the signature of the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court isn't enough. Ramina Dea, Global News. 
Uber and Lyft now have the green light to operate across the lower mainland under one license. The city of Vancouver has issued intermunicipal business licenses or IMBLs to the two companies. That allows drivers to pick up and drop off passengers anywhere on the lower mainland. The license puts Metro Vancouver ride hailing under one umbrella and removes the need for each city to have its own system. Companies must also have a provincial license to operate in BC. Kabu was the first to receive an IMBL for ride hailing. George Floyd laid to rest in his hometown today. The emotional funeral and demand for changes in policing in the United States and locally in just over a minute. A state trooper arrives just in the nick of time to pull a man from a burning vehicle. That's later on the news hour. And hallelujah, there will be hockey if all goes well when the Canucks could be back on the ice coming up. But first, a personal and political funeral service in Houston, Texas today for the man whose death has sparked protests around the world. The funeral for George Floyd was attended by friends, family and invited guests, but it was streamed live to millions more around the world. Fifteen days after he died with the knee of a Minneapolis police officer on his neck, Floyd's family paid tribute as others called for change. All I think about is when he was yelling for mama. I love, <laughs> I just want to say I, to him, I love you. And um, I thank God for giving me, giving me my own personal Superman. Out of his death has come a movement. George Floyd's final resting place is in a family plot next to his mother. Witnesses say he called out for her in the moments before his death. A B.C. mother who's been waiting for five years for answers in her son's death is adding her voice to the renewed call for police body cameras. 33-year-old Miles Gray died in 2015 after a violent confrontation with Vancouver police. Several officers were injured and Miles died with a list of injuries as well. Sarah McDonald spoke to his mother who believes body cameras would have made a difference. He died on the job, unarmed and unintoxicated, with traumatic injuries inflicted in a violent encounter with Vancouver police officers in 2015. Well, he had broken bones. He was beat all over. He was black and blue. He had ruptured testicles. I mean, what is that? Humiliation? But nearly five years since the death of Miles Gray, virtually nobody knows with certainty exactly what happened in his final moments and why, except for the officers involved. We do know what happened. However, we don't know who did what and when they still continue to be employed by the VPD. How, I don't know. Long lingering questions that likely could have been answered years ago had the officers been wearing body cameras. Technology that can document indisputable and objective evidence in police encounters like this. In the absence of video footage like this. Something still sorely lacking in Gray's case, with no civilians and no known surveillance footage witnessing the altercation that ended in the death of the 33-year-olds and the hospitalization of several officers. In order to maintain the public's faith in the accountability of police and the investigations that we do, I think it's time for police to wear body cameras. After an arduous investigation hindered by a dispute over officer cooperation, the province's police watchdog forwarded the case to the 
the B.C. Prosecution Service for charge assessment. That was 16 months ago. Still, no charges have been laid. What other job is out there? You're not, you're not accountable. You can just go out and do this to an unarmed person. That's not really a threat. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make sense. So now is the time for change. The Vancouver Police Department says while it's open to discussions, it has no current plans to outfit its officers with body cameras for a number of reasons, including cost. And I really believe that if you have nothing to hide, it should not be a problem. With Gray's family still grieving, left paying the price. Sarah McDonald, Global News. The union representing 20,000 RCMP members is calling for faster police complaint probes after it took more than four years for three Prince George officers to be charged in a takedown caught on camera. As Ted Chernecki reports, BC's police watchdog says it has made changes to improve the speed of investigations. There is a video of a confrontation between RCMP and Prince George and two suspected car thieves. And there's the George Floyd video. So how is it that in Minnesota, it went from investigating these officers to charging them in just eight days? Yet in Prince George, it's taken more than four years. Eight days? Uh, I think the evidence was extremely compelling in the George Floyd one. Uh, and, you know, that was fairly easy for them to make a decision there. Um, this one, I don't know, but four years, way too long. In the Prince George video, it appears the driver of the truck, once on the ground, continues to get attacked by a police dog and kicked and later elbowed by a police officer. The suspect on the passenger side also appears to be attacked while already down. But even with this video, it took the Independent Investigations Office two years to investigate. It was one of the earlier cases I had to deal with. We identified some additional areas of investigation that which was completed and the referral was made in, uh, on June 1st of 2018, um, about six months after I arrived here. While admitting investigations have been pretty slow, he says in the past three years, the average time to investigate a case has gone from 84 to 34 days. The cases that we have heard about recently that have taken a long time are ones that came about in 2015 to 20, uh, 2015, 16 and 17. Um, and I think we have made great strides since then. However, we can always do better and we'll always work to do better. Then the Crown took another two years to finally approve charges just this week. The police union says its members haven't not noticed the politics of the day. The suspicions are, you know, that in today's political climate, you know, a decision was made on Monday. Um, was it politically motivated or was it actually uh, the time when they made their decision? All three officers are now charged with assault. Constable Joshua Grafton faces the additional charges of assault with a weapon and obstruction of justice. It could be another two years before a trial. Ted Chernecki, Global News. Up ahead, major changes to a Vancouver comedy institution. By tearing theater sports down, the plan to build it back up after allegations of racism. Also tonight, the long ordeal is over for a conservation officer who refused to kill black bear cubs. What the court says coming up. Two lanes north and one lane south at the Lions Gate Bridge this evening. Traffic is steady westbound on Georgia Street and through the Stanley Park Causeway out of Vancouver and just busy on the Cloverleaf from north and west Vancouver. When you buy a lottery ticket or play at a casino in B.C., our health care schools and community programs benefit. BCLC. With every play, you're making B.C. even better. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center.
A popular Vancouver comedy troupe is making changes as past performers come forward alleging racism and misogyny. Vancouver Theatre Sports says it's dissolving its artistic structure, including its cast, while it addresses these accusations. But as Grace Key reports, one of the artists who came forward isn't convinced there will be real change. Reginald, that's your marijuana plant. The day Global BC aired a story on allegations of racism and misogyny at Vancouver Theatre Sports, the improv group announced it was making changes. Basically, they said they would disband the current performing group, which has already happened because of the pandemic, and that they would then choose a new artistic uh, director who they're going to choose internally and haven't told us anything about it, and that they were going to hold focus groups to continue to talk about the situation. So they haven't actually changed anything and they have no concrete plans to change anything. Vancouver Theatre Sports made a Facebook statement on its member page. Changes include dissolving its current programming and artistic structure, including the cast, diversifying the board, setting up an interim artistic team and establishing focus groups. So they'll put you on on their website, but they're not going to put you on their stage. Performers started speaking out about the group during Blackout Tuesday, a social media movement in response to the Black Lives Matter protests. They're very good at saying, we're going to do something, and then they push you out, sweep it under the rug. In public postings, Vancouver Theatre Sports apologized, adding diversity initiatives have not moved quickly enough. They actually need to go out of their way to find people in the industry to bring on as artistic directors, whether that be POC or women of color. Uh, they have tried to put it on to us to do. They said, if you know anybody who could apply to be on the board, tell them to apply. So they're not even trying to seek the right people out to help them do any changes. The company is taking the time during the COVID-19 shutdown to restructure, adding it will raise its curtain on a space we can all be proud of. Grace Key, Global News. Vancouver Fire Rescue says a tree in Stanley Park may have to be felled after it caught fire today. Flames ripped through the large tree shortly after 3 this afternoon. It happened on a trail some 300 meters off the main road near the famous hollow tree. Nine units and about 40 firefighters were able to quickly knock it down, but crews say the city may need to remove what's left of the tree for safety reasons. Vancouver Fire Rescue says the blaze was likely sparked by a carelessly discarded cigarette. Up next, an emotional memorial one year, nearly one year, after a fatal boat crash. Remembering loved ones lost in what investigators say was a tragic accident. Also tonight, a call to action as Variety, the children's charity, struggles to meet demand. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Despite the bad weather, traffic is in good shape at the Burrard Street Bridge tonight. It's a great option in and out of the downtown core. Keep in mind, ongoing COVID-19 restrictions have eastbound traffic blocked on Beach Avenue, and that's between Stanley Park and the Burrard Street Bridge until further notice. Bank securely from anywhere, anytime with CIBC. Whether it's paying bills, depositing checks, or transferring money in Canada and around the world, with CIBC, you can do it all 24-7. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Centre.
Dash cam video captures a Michigan state trooper pulling a person from a burning vehicle. The officer had responded to a call of a fire and found the man unconscious inside. He used a baton to break a window and pull the man out. Police say the driver suffered a medical issue and the fire was caused by the driver having his foot on the gas, causing the spinning tires to catch fire. He wasn't seriously injured. Monday marked the one-year anniversary of a tragic boat crash on Asuyas Lake, claiming the lives of two good friends, Nicholas Trask of Maple Ridge and Ryan Ellison of Kamloops. Global's Shelby Tom has more on how family members marked the somber anniversary and the outcome of the police investigation. Anybody that wants a rose to throw in? Red roses placed in Asuyas Lake. Quiet moments of reflection. Loved ones of Nicholas Trask embrace and remember on the one-year anniversary of the 36-year-old husband and father's death. He's touched a lot of lives all over this planet, so we will never forget him. The Maple Ridge man and his family traveled to the Okanagan for a camping trip with his good friend Ryan Ellison. Both avid boaters Ellison brought his Red Cobra powerboat and the pair headed out for a pre-dinner cruise. But at 7.14 p.m., the Cobra collided with an aluminum fishing boat. The crash caught on surveillance video. Both boats quickly sank. The three people in the other vessel were rescued and sustained minor injuries. The bodies of Trask and Ellison recovered the next day by the RCMP underwater recovery team. On Monday, police took Trask's mother to the very spot he was killed. Jill Madigan says it was important for her to be where her son took his last breath because they were together when he took his first. On the shore, friends and family say he'll never be forgotten. As a free spirit with the craziest laughs and he loved the outdoors. I looked up to Nick. He, uh, he was a kind man, stand-up guy. You got to be here to show the love. A CU's RCMP say it's concluded its lengthy investigation and determined the crash was a tragic accident. Police say the collision was caused by speed and sun blinding the eyes of the deceased driver. That explains why Ellison failed to slow down or change course when in the path of the other vessel. Shelby Tom, Global News, Penticton. Variety, the children's charity, is the place parents turn to when they need support for their child with special needs. But with a financial security that COVID-19 has placed on the economy, Variety is having a lot of trouble keeping up with the demand. Michael Newman has the story. I've got you. Before COVID-19 hit, Mary and her seven-year-old daughter Ainsley were on track to many milestones for Ainsley's development. Ainsley was doing incredibly well. She can swim half the length of the pool by herself with no flotation device or anyone holding on to her. But when the pandemic hit, it hit close to home, severely impacting Ainsley's access to vital therapies. Then I unfortunately actually got COVID. And so now I am trying to do what I can at home, being the teacher, the our reading teacher, our occupational therapist, trying to do some physio, working on speech, like all of those things. And, you know, I'm not you know, I'm not a teacher. Mary fortunately has been able to rely on Variety to pay for some of Ainsley's now digital treatments. I actually really do look forward to our Mondays, which is when we do most of our, our Zoom meetings with our different therapists, because for the most part, Ainsley really enjoys them and does quite well. But at the same time, that takes that pressure off of me. This pressure is what many parents of kids with special needs are feeling right now. 
so much so that the request for support that Variety receives has doubled in the past year. But due to the economic slowdown affecting donations, they are not able to meet the demand. Luckily, donors and businesses like Accent Inns are coming together to try and fill in the gaps. By doing this, I feel good. My company feels good. It actually, you know, though we're helping other people, we all benefit from this. And although there is still much uncertainty for what lies ahead, Variety is hopeful that the community will help them through these hard times so that they can continue to be there for BC's kids when there's nowhere else to turn. Good job. Michael Newman, Global News. So sweet. And if you want to support Variety during this very difficult time, visit variety.bc.ca to donate. Up ahead, a woman diffusing a potentially explosive situation. Her calming influence as anger against Montreal riot police started to boil over and her reunion with the photographer who captured it. Also coming up in sports, why we're about to experience the joys of August hockey. A former B.C. conservation officer who made international headlines by refusing to shoot two bear cubs has won his five-year court battle. Linda Aylesworth has the details on his complete vindication by the B.C. Court of Appeal and the radio silence from government on his case. In 2015, then-conservation officer Bryce Cassavant was called to a bear complaint in Port Hardy with orders to kill a sow and her two cubs. Under provincial policy, she had entered a home and um, falls into a mandatory destruction category. However, her two cubs did not. So he euthanized the sow, then did what he thought was right, both ethically and legally, with the cubs. I followed the standing uh, rules of the day, which were to transport the cubs to a veterinarian for medical assessment and to a wildlife recovery centre for a behavioural assessment. According to the Police Act, Cassavant was within his rights to choose not to discharge his firearm. Even so, he was dismissed from his job. When news of the action hit the media, there was outrage around the world from some very public figures. It had the elements of, uh, of an injustice, and I think people picked up on that, and it, it went viral. But still no reprieve, and so Cassavant went back to school, to Royal Roads University, where he pursued and got a doctorate in the Conservation Officer Service's long history. And eventually I was able to formulate a legal argument as to why the actions taken against me were inherently unlawful. Recently, the three Court of Appeal judges who presided over his case came to a unanimous decision, that is, to nullify his dismissal. And legally speaking, that means they never should have happened, and as of today, they never have happened. And that leaves us in an interesting position for the future. Among the changes he'd like to see happen? I've always maintained that um, kill orders are inherently unlawful. You simply don't order constables to kill. Human or non-human is irrelevant. As for those cubs, they survived and were eventually released back into the wild. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Global News also asked the Attorney General's Ministry for a comment on the case. They say they are reviewing the decision and won't comment in the meantime. And in the meantime, let's check in with... Christy, it doesn't look good when you're wearing the hood on your rain jacket out there, Gordo. <laughs>
Even on under an umbrella, it's like the rain is coming in sideways. It's not heavy, but it's really misty and sort of getting into all nooks and crannies. So, yes, a wet one today. The good news, everyone, this is the wettest day of the week, that's for sure. Uh, so we'll talk about your week in a second. First, though, the temperatures. You may have noticed how chilly it was today, a high of only 14 degrees. That's five degrees below seasonal for this time of year. Typically, we'd be up to about eight uh, 19. Now, even areas in the interior drop down to minus one, a chilly start to the day in Clinton and Smithers. So, yes, cool air mass meant snow in the upper levels. So this is Silver Star Mountain this morning, snow falling there. Now, this is, system is going to bring in more of a southwest flow, so warming up tomorrow, back to seasonal values, but not nearly as much rainfall. North Coast will see some for our region. It's mainly cloudy with a few sprinkles for sure. So we certainly do have about a 60% chance of showers. And even in the afternoon tomorrow, we have a risk of thunderstorms. But as, but as I mentioned, not the widespread rain that we saw today is just more spotty conditions expected tomorrow. So it's one of those days. Don't leave home without your rain jacket. You may likely need it. So north coast looking wet. Inland region sunshine in the morning. Chance of showers pushing in with a risk of thunderstorms in the afternoon. Whereas the south coast staying cloudy throughout the day with that chance of showers and a risk of thunderstorms later in the day. And you'll note it's not rainfall for Thursday, Friday and Saturday. It's just a few showers here and there. And we'll break that down as we get closer Overall, tomorrow, bring that rain jacket just in case. In your central windows, weather windows, last night's sunset from Deep Bay on Vancouver Island. Thank you so much to Iris for that great shot. Love it. The sunsets with a bit of cloud cover in the mix. Sure is nicer than just total cloud cover. <laughs> yeah. oh, that's right. Stay dry out there. Holy cow. You can go inside now, Christy. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. All right. Uh, you know, we joke about hockey in June when there's a regular season and the playoffs go late into the, into the summer, but uh, might actually be a reality. August? Actually, when you think about it, hockey never really gets the summer. It's usually over in late spring. Right. I know I'm being technical. However, there will be summer hockey, we hope, this year. And it'll be strange, but most NHLers will be happy to get back to playing after having the last three months and a bit off, like the Habs' Brendan Gallagher. You can see the, there's definitely an appetite for sports to come back. Everyone's kind of missed it. We will get the thoughts from local players about hockey in the heat of summer. Also tonight, cool under pressure. The Montreal woman captured preventing a clash during the Black Lives Matter protest in Montreal. Everything seems topsy-turvy these days, including the world of sports. Here's Squire. That is correct. The pandemic basically has turned most everything we know into the upside-down world. Stranger Things reference there. For NHL players on the top 24 teams, that'll mean training camps in July and playoff games starting in August. Usually those are the months the ice is only in their drinks. We all know what a normal hockey season looks and feels like, but hockey in August, likely without fans in the stands, that's going to be a first for all of us, even more so for the guys on the ice. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's, it's going to be different. I mean, something like this hasn't happened in hundred years or so so I mean it's it's tough but I mean it's it's things that everyone has to ha do and compromise and it's going to be fun uh, once it gets going I think. I, it'll be strange I mean we all played summer hockey growing up but uh, it's been a while since we've gotten to the rink then so it'll be different I mean you can you can see the there's definitely an appetite for sports to come back everyone's kind of missed it so 
uh, when we do go back, it'll be different. Obviously, no fans, but uh, you know, hopefully, we can provide a good product. Here's Elias Pettersson moving it across to Foley scores. What will be questioned is the return to and playing of a contact sport during a pandemic. The NHL is intent on returning to action either late July or early August. For guys who eat, drink and sleep hockey 24-7, returning to the ice during this pandemic is not without risk. Uh, we're comfortable um, that uh, they're going to put all the necessary precautions in to keep us safe and uh, make sure we can go out there and, and provide a good product. Uh, I think there's there's always going to be something. I mean, there's always going to be some kind of uh, uh, hesitation. Uh, but, you know, for me personally, I, I, I think uh, a lot of people have been smart during this time and, and, and staying safe. And I know a lot of guys in the in the hockey community have done a great job of of isolating and social distancing and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, and, and I think it shows in the numbers too with, with uh, you know, that it didn't spread a lot through the NHL community and, and that's obviously a good sign. Whether you know someone that was affected or you don't, um, you know, this is real life. And for me I, and my family, it kind of put us in a position to educate ourselves really quickly with my dad being a diabetic and my sister was pregnant at the time. So two high-risk people and, um, you know, you... you Kind of sets reality into into stone right away. So you got to find a way to adapt around it and make things work. Jacob Markstrom is the Canucks nominee for the Masterton Award for perseverance and dedication to hockey. He of course had to overcome the death of his father early in the season. He played his best ever hockey, was the Canucks MVP before he hurt his knee, and then of course the league was put on pause. The PGA is back starting on Thursday. The Charles Schwab Challenge in Texas. A lot of big names will be there playing in front of no fans, being tested regularly, and hopefully staying inside the PGA's bubble. I, mean, I don't think anybody really wants to contract the virus and have to not only deal with the, the health risks that apply, but also miss time playing. So I, I have faith in the guys that are playing and that are within that bubble that they're going to do you know, what it takes within the week um, to ensure that, that they stay healthy. Uh, and. I think it'll work well. Yes, and the UFC's fight island was not a figment of Dana White's imagination. The island is in Abu Dhabi. It's Yaz Island. It'll be fight island for UFC 251, which will feature three title fights, and they'll use the island for three other cards all next month. So there you go. Show it's the know. happiest place on earth, fight island. <laughs> not sure about that for the losers. Thanks, Squire. All right, let's check in with Ann Drua for a look ahead to Global News at 11. Ann? Thanks, Sophie. The city of Vancouver is hoping to give bars and restaurants a boost to help them rebound from the pandemic. Among the measures being considered, expanding the capacity of liquor establishments and extending the patio permit program onto private property. Plus, a search is underway in the Fraser Valley for a dog that's been spotted with a muzzle and hockey tape wrapped around it. A pet detective who's helping with the search says he's convinced it's a case of animal cruelty. We'll have more on this story when you join us tonight at 11 o'clock. Sophie, Chris. All right, thanks, Ann. Up next, our salute to our healthcare heroes and a different kind of heroism on the front lines of the Black Lives Matter movement. BC is making some promising strides in the COVID-19 pandemic, and for that, we owe many thanks to our brave healthcare heroes. Tonight, we want to recognize another one of your nominations. This one comes from Kirpal Singh and his family, and they want to recognize Shivi Sidhu, who is their daughter's boyfriend. Shivi has worked in the healthcare industry for more than 21 years in many different roles. 
Currently, he's a vascular nurse practitioner at Abbotsford Regional Hospital. This past March, he was asked to assist in the ICU with the pandemic. Without hesitation, this single father of two teenagers took on the assignment knowing he would be risking his own health to help others. For more than two months, he was unable to see his family, children, girlfriend and friends. A heartfelt thank you, Shivy, from Kerpal and the entire family. And from us as well, we want to thank you for all that you're doing to help BC through this pandemic too. And if you have a healthcare hero you'd like to recognize on the news hour, send an email to the address on your screen, bchealthcareheroes at globalnews.ca. Don't forget, we need pictures and a story about why they're so great. All right, well, the anti-racism march that took place in downtown Montreal Sunday was mostly peaceful. However, some say at one point it could have gone in another direction, but thanks to one woman in particular, it didn't. Global's Felicia Perillo explains. This was the moment during Sunday's march that could have gotten violent. Protesters and police in full riot gear getting closer, standing face to face. Just as tempers began to flare, Anastasia Marceline stepped in. Je ne voulais pas qu'il y a quoi que ce soit qu'on nous reproche de cette journée-là. Je ne voulais même pas qu'il y a un, une, une bouteille. Marceline, who helped organize the march, says she was determined to keep things peaceful. As she stood between police and demonstrators, she turned and addressed the protesters. Il n'y a jamais eu de chef de police noir à Montréal. Fait, il est temps que les choses changent. Va à l'école, rentre dans ce système-là. Fais en sorte de, de pour que le système craque, le système occidental. C'est il faut qu'on rentre pour s'asseoir dedans. As Marceline tried to defuse the situation, Montreal photographer David Gogan captured it all through his lens. He snapped photo after photo, showing Marceline trying to calm everyone down. There was two female protesters who were visibly upset. And I, before she arrived, I saw them like they were yelling at the cops and they were screaming. They were right in the front. And she just took them and she embraced them and she gave them with love, even though they met her with anger. On Tuesday, Marceline and Gogan met for the first time. She was blown away by his pictures and thanked him for capturing the moment and sharing the story. Je suis contente qu'il y a quelqu'un d'autre que moi qui raconte cette histoire. Et je suis contente que ce n'est pas une personne de ma communauté. Et c'est ça qui est encore plus important pour moi. Merci beaucoup. Felicia Perillo, Global News. Montreal. Pretty cool. Like Bonnie Henry says, be, be kind and be calm. Be calm. We'll serve you well. And try to be dry <laughs> <laughs> amid all that rain. Christy, uh, final word on the forecast? Yeah. Thanks. Well, today was certainly a soaker, but it won't be this way for the rest of the week, everyone. Although we still have showers and a fair amount of cloud in the forecast, it won't be like this. So bring your rain jacket just in case. A little bit of sun on the weekend peeking through now. That's encouraging. Thanks very much, everybody, for Maybe. watching. Have a wonderful night. Good night, all.